Well, this morning I want to speak to you about being thankful through trial. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 40. Psalm 40, one of my favorite psalms in all of the scriptures, the 40th psalm. As we stand together and open God's Word together, I'm going to read the first three verses. Uh, then we'll kind of look at really the first ten this morning in the message. Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned to me. Some translations say He inclined to me. He, he basically met me where I am. He heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit, out of the muddy clay, and He set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Father, I thank you this day as we approach Thanksgiving Day. I pray that we would be reminded to live a life of gratitude to you. And Lord, we know that this life has its trials. It has its moments where we find ourselves in the mud and in the mire and in the pit. But Lord, we wait patiently on you, the one who lifts us up out of that horrible pit, out of the mud and the mire, and you set our feet upon a rock. And for that, we trust you. For that, we thank you. And we praise you today, the God from whom all blessings flow. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Now, oftentimes, whether it's at like our preschool program or maybe a school presentation that you had the privilege to attend this year, uh, we think about the first Thanksgiving, and we think of the first Thanksgiving often in glowing pictures and of the, the pilgrims, and we think of the Native Americans, and everything was just perfect, and the turkey was big and fat, and, and it was just an exciting time of celebration. And I believe it was a great celebration if you think back to that first Thanksgiving, but let's not forget what happened to lead up to that moment. See, that had followed a long journey to this new world. It had followed a time where separatists and Anglicans and even some folks that just wanted to go along for the adventure of discovery had come together. These separatists or Puritans who, who found no place where they seemed to be welcome in Europe along with some Anglicans who wanted to be a part of bringing people to this new world and, and some folks that just said, hey, let's see what's out there had come across the Atlantic, they had arrived much later and at the wrong place than they had expected. They had arrived too late for getting some crops planted or anything like that. They would endure a winter. 102 of them would begin. Actually, they had lost a life on the trip, but they had also gained a life because a baby had been born on the way over. But through that first winter, the, uh, out of the 102 pilgrims, 45 of them did not even survive. Can you imagine a community where almost half of your population had died through the winter? And those who were alive and, and, and lived to survive and, and that were indebted, they felt like, to uh, you've heard of Chief Massasoit, you've heard of Squanto, those who felt indebted to the Native Americans, gathered together. Actually, on that day, there were probably twice as many Native Americans as there were those who had come from Europe as they celebrated that first Thanksgiving. In the midst of all the suffering, in the midst of remembering a journey 
that brought about storms and delay and rats and disease and everything else, they stopped in the midst of trial, in the midst of struggle, to give thanks to Almighty God. I love Thanksgiving. One of my favorite times of the year, and some of you are saying, yeah, we can tell by looking at you. You love Thanksgiving. You love uh, the feasting time of the year, and, and I certainly do. And I have lots of, of wonderful Thanksgiving memories. And, and, and now there is a segment of those memories that quite honestly uh, remind me of a lot of trials that we experienced. You see, I think about how there was a time, even after we first came to Georgia, when I go back 15 years ago and 14 and 13 and 12 and 11 and 10 years ago even, that we always, because we were here all of the time, we knew that Thanksgiving is when we would get to go see my wife's family. So uh, school would typically let out, and I'm glad they have all week this year, but to, school would typically let out at about Wednesday at noon, and we would hit the road, and we would drive all Wednesday evening and get together with Tina's family on that Wednesday night and, and have dinner, and then we would get up early Thursday morning some of those days, and we would drive all the way to eastern North Carolina, a little town called Tarboro. Now, Tarboro was famous to us before Todd Gurley ever came from there and made it famous for the rest of North Georgia, but we would make our way to this little town where Tina's grandparents had uh, all of the family over, and there was always good eating, and her granddaddy made the best cakes and pies and sweets and desserts, and it just makes you guys hungry me talking about it. But, but we would have a great day, big family. Tina's brother was always the, the kind of the, uh, he had to be the class clown growing up because he had everybody just laughing, and, and, and um, we were all goofing off, having a great time, enjoying uh, this setting and hearing the stories and catching up with everybody and uh, then all of a sudden, over just a few years, all of that ended. All of that changed because of some trials that we never expected to go through. Uh, her brother at the age of 40 lost his life in a tragic car accident. And, and nothing seemed the same after that at Thanksgiving. Nothing seemed the same after that at Christmas. Uh, this introduced Tina and her parents and, and, and the rest of us to just a, a dark season where you know, with her mom dealing with cancer, and of course her dad uh, lost his life uh, having a heart attack during a catheterization, and didn't expect that when my wife and my daughter traveled to, to North Carolina to surprise him at the hospital. Didn't know that they would get there just as he was about to breathe his last. And then the, the cancer returning in her mom's life and taking her life a couple of years later. During that time, watching grandparents you know, early on, my kids had a lot of great-grandparents, and all of a sudden we started seeing grandparents pass away that, that were part of those holidays, part of those festive gatherings, and, and things just weren't the same. There were all of these trials and all of these tribulations that make you stop and think, okay, it's easy to give thanks when the party's going on. It's easy to give thanks when everything seems to be going right, but sometimes you go through seasons of life where you find yourself in the pit, where you find yourself in the mud and the mire, where, where there are those who have gone on to be with the Lord, but you missed them. Or, or maybe there's been other family breakdown that you didn't anticipate that causes you to go through a difficult season of life. Maybe it's the own uh, personal struggles that you're having, the illness that you're dealing with, whatever it may be, and you're finding yourself deep in the, the trials of life. And it makes Thanksgiving a difficult season. It perhaps makes it difficult to give thanks. But I'll tell you, I believe that for those who aren't 
in the midst of that or haven't gone through something like that, maybe it's even harder to give thanks because it's so easy to take what we have been blessed with for granted. So easily to think, man, it's always going to be like this. I want to talk to you about being thankful through the trials. Now, saying thank you is important. Taking time to pray daily and give God thanks. I love to use the ACTS acrostic, A-C-T-S, where we go to the Lord in prayer, and we just spend some time in A, adoration, and then C, confession. We just kind of confess our sins before Him. And then T, thanksgiving, and spend a lot of time there. And then the S is supplication. That's usually what we start with. Supplication is where we're making our requests known to God. But before we ever get there, there should be a time of adoration, confession, and thanksgiving for the wonderful things God has done in our life. How do we thank God in the midst of trials? How do we know if we have this this attitude of gratitude, so to speak, that permeates our lives? Well, I think it's demonstrated by the psalmist here in Psalm 40 in a number of ways. We'll mention three of them this morning. First of all, if we have a thankful attitude, if we live a thankful lifestyle, we will wait patiently on the Lord. We will wait patiently on the Lord. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, He heard my cry, and he brought me up out of that horrible pit. He brought me up out of that desolate place. That can be spiritually, that can be emotionally, that can be when we're going through a financial season of life. As we heard a powerful testimony last night, it could cover all of those areas of life that we're dealing with. When we have a legitimate need, and our greatest need of all, folks, the greatest need we will ever have as a result of simply being born into this world is we need a Savior. We are born in a sin-fallen world. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are sinners by nature and by choice, but because of the redemption of Jesus Christ, because he laid down his life for our sins, we have something to be thankful for. That sin pit is something that he died to pull us out of. When every other religion in the world says, you've got to work your way out of it by accomplishing certain feats to impress God, Christianity is the only religion that says, no, he reached down in the pit with his son, Jesus Christ. He became sin for us, died for us, lifted us out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set our feet on a rock, and in the New Testament, we understand that that rock is that confession of faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that Peter made when Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. He sets our feet upon the rock, Jesus, and puts a song. Hey, I like this, Jeff. It says, a new song in our mouth. We have something new and fresh and exciting to sing about. But it could be other pits that we go through in life, relational pits, where things just seem a little dysfunctional at home, right? We all deal with that because we live in a sin-fallen world where we need God to to pull our relationship out of the pits from time to time. Maybe a marriage. Maybe reconciliation with a child or or, or with a parent. Some of the young people need to learn how to wait patiently on the Lord in that process because they want to rush into a relationship that perhaps they're not ready for. I'm amazed at how many middle schoolers and and, uh, people that are young in those high school years... feel like they have to have a boyfriend or have to have a girlfriend. But see, if we're grateful for what God's doing in our life, we wait patiently on His provision and His timing. We're not impatient, but we're thankful. You want to see a picture 
Now, I really could get on the kids here. You know, I usually uh, uh, preach to the parents and, and maybe to the teens. And, and a lot of times I know we miss the kids for children's church, but kids might want to listen to this one. Sometimes we display a lack of gratitude when we rush to be the first in the dinner line. Now, I know parents usually say, well, let's get the kids first, you know. Uh, let's get the kids through the line first. But sometimes when, when we say it's time to eat, kids, you might want to just say, you know what? I will walk patiently. I will wait patiently because I am just so thankful. You know, kids, dogs and pigs can run quick to the food, right? And so we want to learn how to be patient because we're grateful for our parents. We're grateful for God's provision in our life, and we can wait patiently on what God is doing. The culture tells us to be impatient rather than grateful. I mean, we don't live in a day... Uh, so much. Well, some of us do with the crock pots and all that, but usually it's microwave. If we're hungry, we want to be able to nuke it and eat it. We want fast food, and we want it now. I I get tickled at people now. It used to be me, but I get tickled at people that get frustrated. I saw a guy walk up to a counter at the Golden Pantry of all places, and, and he waited for about 30 seconds for the young lady to finish what she was doing to come over and see what he wanted, what kind of biscuit he wanted or whatever. And he got so impatient, he just and he grabbed his money, and he just kind of walked out. He couldn't wait more than 30 seconds. We've got to have it, and we've got to have it now. A grateful people, a thankful people, are a people who wait patiently. We're in such a rush. Everything, we want it, we want it now. I read that where if somebody is on social media and there is a video, whether it's on Facebook or, or some other medium, they come to a video and they click on it. If it takes it more than five seconds to load, they keep scrolling. That's too long to wait. Five seconds on average is how long people are willing to wait for a video to load on social media. Do you remember the days, folks? It wasn't that long ago. There were, some, there were these stores in every town called video rental stores. Y'all remember that? If you wanted to see a movie, you got the family... You all got in the minivan, and you rode down to the video rental store where they would have um, DVDs, but also VHS for those of us who were a little bit behind the times. And as a family, you would spend time in the video. You spent as much time in the video rental store as you did watching the movie. You made it a family affair. You decided what kind of candy and and snacks and other things you were going to get while you were there. And then you drove home. And then you got some things in place, and you put the movie in. Now, when the family decides they want to watch a movie, they go to Netflix or they go to to the Red Box or something, they get it, and it's got to start now because we've got maybe an hour and 42 minutes to watch this hour and 38 movie, and it has to start now. We want to live stream it, or, or we want to stream it, and if it doesn't start streaming right away, we get frustrated. We turn on our computers, and we start to play a video, and then we, why won't this thing play? And it's been eight seconds. We are an impatient people, which often is a picture of our lack of gratitude for just how blessed we are. And so many around the world would love to be able to play a video on demand. Why are we not patient with God? Why are we not patient with parents and friends and teachers? I need to say that word again, teachers. (laughs) Why are we not patient with others in our lives? Often it's a sign that we're ungrateful. See, patience is gratefully waiting without worrying. 
patience, gratefully waiting without worrying. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication. With what? Thanksgiving. That's right. With thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And then what happens? That peace of God, the opposite of anxiousness, the opposite of impatience and agitation. And we begin to pray and wait patiently on the Lord. The peace of God that passes all understanding begins to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to go through difficult seasons of life. Some are trivial like I've been discussing. Some are very serious like I opened up with. Some are trials we never dreamed we would have experienced. But it's in those moments that we need to learn to give thanks. The Bible says, in everything, give thanks. Interestingly, the Bible does not say, for everything, give thanks. But in everything, give thanks. You say, well, I don't understand. How can I give thanks in everything? Well, be thankful for how God works in spite of whatever situation. Be thankful for God, how God works through every situation. I heard the story of a particular pastor who had gone to a church, and he was warned before he went there. He said, there's a lady in that church that's run every preacher off, and when you get there, she's going to run you off too. And the pastor would show up, and she would say to the pastor, I've been here longer than you. I was here before you. I'll be here when you leave. And she just kind of laid down the law with the pastor, and he got upset. He got agitated. Everything he tried to do, she was against it. And then she would badmouth him all the time, and he was like, man, what in the world am I going to do? So he finally went to another pastor. He said, I think I'm going to resign. I know why the rest of them left. I can't handle this anymore. That other pastor said, did God call you to that church? He said, absolutely. He said, don't you dare resign. He said, you start every day giving thanks. He said, I don't even know what I've got to give thanks for. He said, you're a man of God. Every day you need to start your day off. Number one, give thanks that God saved you. Thank God for your salvation. He said, well, I, I can do that. I think he did save me. He said, number two, you need to thank God that he called you into the ministry. That's only by the grace of God. I can do that. I thank God that he called into the ministry. And he said, and number three, you need to get on your knees every day and thank God you didn't marry that woman. <laughs> he said, I can do that. I can think we've got a lot to be thankful for. Even in trials, James Chapter 1 says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. Patience. God is building that into our lives as we learn to wait patiently on the Lord. If we are a grateful people, we will wait patiently on the Lord. Secondly, now here's where it gets fun. We will worship publicly before the Lord. We'll wait patiently on the Lord, but while we wait, we will worship publicly before the Lord. Look at verse 3. He put this new song in my mouth. He put a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and they will put their trust in the Lord. Why do so many people refuse to worship? It's because we're ungrateful. You say, well, pastor, I just don't sing that well, and I don't have other things that I feel like I contribute. Listen, the Bible says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. I'm not exactly invited to come up here and do solos or sing with the choir either, but I'll tell you, I'm going to lift my voice, and I'm going to sing praises to God. And so I believe some people refuse to lift their voices publicly. They refuse to come together with the body of Christ and and sing his praises and, and shout his glory because we're simply not grateful. If we're grateful... We're going to worship. Worship will be out of the overflow of thanksgiving what God's doing in our hearts and lives. 
And so there are, there are folks that just say, I just don't, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to celebrate. Maybe we need to check our hearts and say, do I have cause to celebrate? Is, have I trusted in Christ? Has he done something to me? Or am I just ungrateful for what he has done for me? Sometimes there's kind of a, a passive-aggressive approach. It's a sing a new song to the Lord, and, and sometimes you introduce, in some churches, not this church, thank God, in some churches you introduce a new song, and, and there's that passive-aggressive approach. I'm going to fold my arms, I'm going to close my lips, because I don't know that one. I want to do a new song and quench the spirit of the people around me while we're in the process. So sing a new song to the Lord. Sing something fresh and sweet because God is doing something fresh and new in your heart. Say those words. In Luke 17, Jesus was approached by ten lepers and he told them to go and show themselves to the priest. And on their way, all ten of them were healed. Remember, only one came back to say thanks. But you know, he didn't walk up to Jesus and say, I just want to tell you thanks. I just wanted to say thank you. What did he do? How did he say thanks? In Luke 17, 15, and 16, it says that as he approached him with a loud voice, he gave glory to God. At that point, after having been isolated, after being ostracized from the community and society, all of a sudden, he is healed, he is whole, he is accepted, and he, because of that, cannot help but overflow with a loud voice of giving glory to God. We need to say the words. We need to say thank you. We need to glorify God in our worship. We need to let others publicly see what God is doing in our lives. Yet I'm amazed at how many times we just can't let it go. We just can't let it out in our worship. I heard the story of a church that was very uh, traditional, very ecumenical. They had a certain liturgy that they went through week after week after week. And sometimes I enjoy being in a service like that, to be honest with you. I like a variety, but it was a very liturgical service. But the pastor thought, you know, I can't tell that there's any passion or any emotion here. And it wouldn't be acceptable for anybody to clap or say amen like we were doing a moment ago or hallelujah, praise God. It wouldn't be acceptable in this worship. I know that they're not used to that. So one day he passed out a helium balloon to everybody who came in. And he said, look, I know that we're, we have quiet worship here, but if at any point you feel like in your emotional state, in, in, in your heart, at any point you feel like if it were more accepted, you would shout praise God, hallelujah, amen, or anything like that, just let go of the balloon. Just let go of the balloon. At the end of that service that day, 80% of the members were still holding the balloon. See, see it's, not, it's not the outward expression. It's the heart that's the problem. A heart that's not full of worship because of what God has done in our lives. We need to be a people uh, of thanksgiving even through the trials, through our public worship before the Lord. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, Psalm 103 says, All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits because of all that he's doing in my life, in and through me. Even in the trial, even in the storms of life, even in those dark moments, I've got something to worship him for. Well, pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I know this. I know that if you're under the sound of my voice, you're here this morning. 
But I also know that Paul and Silas were locked in a dungeon prison in chains and in that place being persecuted for their faith, wondering if they were going to lose their lives. They lifted up praises to God as they began to worship God and give thanks even in their chains. The chains began to break. So many of us come in this morning and we're chained by sin and we're chained uh, chained by depression and other things that hold on to us and we just need to learn to praise God through the trials and through the storms. And as we begin to worship Him publicly, as we worship publicly before the Lord, we'll see chains break loose. Have we forgotten how to praise Him? Praise God for how He's using us and working in us and through us, even through the trials, even through the storms. We worship publicly before the Lord, and finally we witness. If we're grateful, we witness. We witness persistently for the Lord. Now continue to follow this chapter a little bit, and in verse 5 he says, Lord my God, now this is, he's to the point of celebrating now because he realizes waiting patiently on the Lord leads to his deliverance. He says, Lord my God, you have done many things, your wonderful works and your plans for us. None can compare with you if I were to report and speak of them. They are more than I can, or more than can be told. More than I can say. He says, Lord, I would love to tell everybody what you're doing, but there's, there's, you have done so much in my life, I wouldn't even know where to begin. It's just too much to speak of. And if you will be honest, church, you think about your life. I don't care what kind of trials you've been through. Well, I do care. But regardless of what trials and, and storms you have gone through or find yourself in today, if you will begin to look back through the years of your life where God has been faithful, You would say amen and amen and amen again and again and again to the faithfulness of God. The fact that you are even here this morning is a testimony of God's grace in your life. We have more than we would have time to testify of. But did that keep him from, did he say, well, there's there's too much to talk about, so I'm not even going to get started. Not exactly. Look down at verse 9. The proclamation begins. He says, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed. As you know, Lord, I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. The psalmist is saying, I talked about it as much as I could. I told as many others as I could about your faithfulness, about your salvation. There was a persistent witness for the Lord in his life. Why do we not witness? Well, pastor, you don't know. I'm, I'm kind of intimidated. Uh, I'm kind of scared of sharing my faith with others. I'm afraid if I begin to talk to somebody about Jesus, they might laugh at me or make fun of me. If I begin to talk to somebody about Jesus, I might not have the right words to say. C- could you imagine if, if we were in a big crowd, like after a Georgia football game, we're celebrating, I remember uh, Kent and I got caught in pretty big crowds after the uh, uh, LSU game a couple of years ago, the Clemson game last year. We're celebrating victory. Things are, and, and it's just kind of wall to wall, and, and you can't get through the crowd. Could you imagine if in the middle of that loud crowd, and everybody being crazy about the Bulldogs, if in the middle of that crowd with all these fanatics, if somebody had dropped a grenade, and Kent, being the brave young man he is, smothered it and it took his life. Great act of heroism. And people come to me, and they say, wow, your son saved my life. 
Your son died to save the rest of us. This is not a prophetic utterance, Ken. just want you to know that. Um, but your son gave his life to save all of these rowdy dog fans that were more excited about the dogs than Jesus. How could we ever say, thank you? And if I were to look to them and say, look, I don't know of anything you could ever do except, would you, because I love him, because I'm proud of him, would you tell everybody you know what he did for you? I bet anybody in that crowd of, of fanatics, anybody in that crowd would say, you better believe it. You better believe Out of thanksgiving because somebody died to save my life, you better believe I'll tell anybody and every. Where do I start? I'll start right now, and I'll tell everybody what your son did for me. Folks, that's what witnessing is. It's being grateful. It's saying, God, you sent your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sin. He was buried. He rose again, and through his life, I have life and life more abundantly and life eternal and a home in heaven. God, how could I ever say thank you? And God says, tell everybody what my son did for you. Well, Lord, I don't know if I can do that. Are we really thankful? I don't know if I can open my mouth to where I go to school about Jesus. Are we really thankful? Are we really grateful for what he did? I don't know if I could open my mouth in my workplace about Jesus. Are we grateful for what he did? I don't think I could ever go to my neighbors and talk about Jesus. Are we grateful for what he did? Somebody has died to save your life as Christ did becoming sin for us. And it didn't end there. He rose from the grave and lives victorious so that we know we have given our lives to the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. If we're grateful, if we're thankful, even in the storms of life, we will witness persistently for the Lord. If we aren't telling others, listen, if we're not telling others, sometimes I realize it's a sign of a lack of courage and boldness. But could it be that it's a sign of a lack of gratitude. That if we were truly grateful, we'd find a way to tell people what He did in our life. God's Son gave His life on a cross. Experienced the worst physical pain that had learned to be laid upon a human being. But more than that, spiritually, all hell was poured out on Jesus for us that all heaven might be opened up to us. The spiritual death he died was unspeakable. This brings us to the Lord's table this morning. For some, the Lord's table, communion, Lord's Supper, is called Eucharist. The word Eucharist simply means thanksgiving. Simply means thanksgiving. I believe it's proclamation. I believe it's a witness. A real picture of what Christ did for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, he says, when you do this, you proclaim His death until He comes. That's the best way to say thanks. Proclaiming His death until He comes. So this morning, I want us to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. A way to very visually say, thank you. But I want us to check our hearts before the Lord. And make sure we truly are grateful.
The Scripture reminds us not to partake of the Lord's table in a manner that is unworthy. When we've been too ashamed to identify with Him, or when we haven't been grateful, or when we haven't been forgiving in other relationships in our lives. See, if our heart's not right with God, and our heart's not right with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't need to partake of the Lord's table. As a matter of fact, Paul even warned some are asleep. He meant dead. <laughs> because they took lightly the Lord's table. More importantly, what it is a picture of the death of our Savior. So would you bow your heads with me?